contact the show, you can always send me an email at letstalktorah at gmail.com. That's letstalktorah, no apostrophes, at gmail.com. Today, we are going to have a special Hanukkah show. Okay, somebody outside was making fun of how I pronounce Hanukkah, but that's okay. We will teach him eventually, Andy. But in any case, I hope everyone in the studio had a chance to grab one of those donuts. If I didn't bring enough, I guess I have to bring more next time. But many of us um, equate Hanukkah with donuts. Some jelly donuts, some custard donuts. Um, I, I think there were supposed to be jelly donuts in that bag. I have no idea. It seems many of them were custard. I apologize. You're missing the jelly. But in any case, I hope you enjoy those donuts. I, of course... I'm on a diet since our old friend Mike um, told me how to eat. And I am melting away, which is fantastic, unless you like donuts. So these donuts, I'm not going to eat. But my wife said she's going to make her homemade donuts next week. And those I can't put down. So hopefully there will be many children of mine eating donuts with me, because if they won't, Uh, some of that poundage will come back. But it's worth it. It's worth uh, dieting to have some yummy donuts. Okay, but in any case, um, so much for donuts. We're going to do lots of talking about Hanukkah today. We got to talk about the history. We got to talk about the customs. We got to talk about the laws. Uh, We got to talk about the food stuff. And I have a fantastic, true, hot off the presses story uh, from a couple weeks ago when there was that uh, winter storm. And anybody who is in the New York, New Jersey area, a couple weeks ago on that Thursday night, um, you were stuck in traffic for hours. I mean, I don't mean hours. I mean hours. I mean an hour ride took five or six hours. Getting across town instead of ten minutes took an hour and a half. Uh, Children coming home from high school, their their vans and buses couldn't get to them. My nephew, um, instead of, I guess, getting home at seven or eight, got home at like quarter to one, like, like... just a completely unprepared uh, city for a, a not even a very big storm. It was all of uh, three to five inches. It was icy, but it came at the worst time, beginning of rush hour. A couple of accidents just destroyed everything. But the, the good news of that story I will share with you at the end of our show. So let's, let's go all the way back in history. So we've all heard of Alexander the Great, certainly that Greek general who conquered uh, pretty much the world. He was into Persia, Egypt, um, certainly his area of Greece. I don't know how far up into Europe or if he went up into Europe. That I'm sure the, the historical experts will let me know. They always do. So Alexander, who didn't rule very long, he, he's, I think he was general for about six years, and then he died from some flu disease. I don't know what he died from. And then uh, his, uh, his, his empire was split into three, but uh, let's talk about Alexander. So Alexander is at the beginning of the Second Temple. So the Second Temple is destroyed approximately 2,000 years ago. Approximate. We don't have to get so exact into the numbers. And, um, and, and so go back 420 years earlier is the beginning of the Second Temple. So approximately 24, 2300 and change years ago, Alexander is conquering the world. And he's going to the land of Israel next because Israel is that connector between the Egypt, the North African continent, 
and uh, and the rest of the Middle East, and then Persia, and back up to Greece. So th- Israel was always an area that armies were going through because you had the southern k- kingdoms and the northern kingdoms, and Israel's in between. So he's coming to conquer Israel. Now, he doesn't have to do any work to conquer Israel. There's no army. There's nobody that is going to stand in the way of Alexander. The problem is there are a group of people called the Kusim, or the Kutim, who had had been brought to the land of Israel at the end of the first temple. So they've been there a couple hundred years at best. They are Jewish, they are converts, but it's debatable how, if it's really a good conversion, not a good conversion, at the end the rabbi said it wasn't a good conversion, and that's a story for another day, why they converted, but at best they only believed in the, in the written Torah, what you'll call the Bible, the Old Testament, they refused to have anything to do with the rabbis and the oral law. The problem is you can't have anybody who's read through the Bible knows there's a lot of commandments that you can't do without instructions. There's just, I mean, keep Sabbath. What does that mean? What are the rules? What are the laws? I don't know the laws. Um, Slaughtering, kosher slaughtering. I don't know how to slaughter. It doesn't say any rules and regulations. So you end up, you got to have an oral law to, to, to have the rules and regulations. Anyways, but again, we're not going to get involved specifically in, in what they believed in. So, but they had Alexander's ear. And they told Alexander, these Jews, they hate you. They rebel against you. You got to go kill them. So Alexander, okay, these Kutim are letting me into the country. If they say the Jews are bad, no problem. I'll get rid of all of them. So the high priest, his name was Simon. He was called Simon the Righteous. He was the high priest. He was high priest, I think, for 40 years. Very, very, one of the the most righteous. He was part of the men of the Great Assembly. Once he dies, the level of spirituality takes a, a steep drop. And he gets the message that Alexander's army is marching. So it's not like he's going to get his weapons out and go fight. So he, he gets dressed in the priestly garments. He's the high priest. He has all the other priests get dressed also as priests, and he says they have to all have torches, and they're going to march out to meet Alexander. So you have Shimon's group of priests with no weapons, just torches, dressed as if they would be working in the temple. And you have Alexander with his army marching. And as it's as the sun is coming up, um, Alexander sees all these Jews coming. And the Kutim say, they're the Jews. Go kill them. Don't listen to them. Don't talk to them. They hate you. They rebel against you. Don't listen to them. The armies get closer. When Alexander sees this Simon, the high priest, he gets off his horse and he bows down. So now, whoa, what's going on? General conquering the world, bowing down to some rabbi. What what gives? So he turns to his advisors and he says, you don't understand Every night before we go to battle, I see a picture of this rabbi in my dreams. This is uh, what I've been waiting for. So the question is, what does that mean? So some will tell you, and they'll be right, that God put the picture of Simon in Alexander's brain before battle as a sign that he's winning the battles uh, so that when he comes into Israel, the Jewish people will be safe. However, there's really another very interesting Um, Explanation. Like all countries, 
what do you want to conquer the world for? What are you going to do with it? And you got all these people that are going to rebel. You're never going to have enough soldiers to to put them on every corner and every street and every city. It's not happening. You don't have enough people in your country. So what do you try to do? You 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 believe that your culture is the greatest culture, and as soon as people discover your culture, they will they will they will just they won't be able to take your culture fast enough. We'll get rid of being barbarians, and we will now have culture, whatever culture means, whichever time period in history you happen to be. So Alexander says, I'm conquering the world. Why am I conquering the world? Because I want the whole world to be like the Greek. We have art. We have theater. We have math. We have intelligence. We have Pythagorean theories for those who have nightmares from high school. Um, and don't know how to use their calculators and can't figure out why they ever had to learn a Pythagorean theory, as my children ask me. And I tell them, because they're not listening now, and I tell them it's, it's important. It's just one of those things you need, and just memorize it, and uh, it'll help you one day. And hopefully when they get older, they'll tell their children the same. But in any case, so Alexander says, I'm trying to bring culture to the world. I'm trying to rid the world of barbarians. I want people to be people like the Greek and this rabbi, look at him. He looks like a person. He doesn't look like a barbarian. You can see holiness coming from him. You can see he's an intelligent being. This is what I'm fighting for. Anyways, so Alexander turns to this Simon, and he says, what's with these Kutin fellows? They, they gave me bad information. So Simon says, they're rotten people. They're, they're, they're obviously undermining your authority because, look, you, you respect what we stand for, and they wanted you, Alexander, to kill us. So uh, Alexander gave them over to the Simon, and they dealt with them uh, more than harshly. He killed them. In any case, but now Alexander is here. So Alexander, like anyone in the times, he says, okay, we're idol worshipers. You have a famous temple. Uh, we would like to put one of our big idol statues in your temple. Now that's, that's crazy. Right? We're busy praying to God. We don't believe in idols. We can't put an idol in the temple. So this Simon was a brilliant man, of course. And he says, Alexander, idol here today, gone tomorrow. We have much better ideas for you. What we'll do is to show our, our love and respect for, for you mighty general, Alexander. Every boy born this year will be given the name Alexander. Some say it was only by the priests. Some say it was by all the Jews. But every Jewish boy born this year will be called Alexander. Alexander is not a Jewish name. However, it is a Jewish name today. I have friends whose names are Alexander. Um, there's a Yiddish um, nickname of Sender. So it's a pretty much uh, run-of-the-mill Jewish name that still exists 2,400 years after this story with Alexander, I don't even think, I think it's almost a more common Jewish name than uh, out there in, in the world of the rest of the world's name. It's interesting. That's one. So one thing we'll do for you is we're going to call all our boys this year Alexander. And the second thing we're going to do is we will start um, to date our documents with the Greek date. In other words, from now on, the years in our documents will go according to the Greek calendar. 
that happens to be fascinating that this Greek calendar is exactly 1,000 years after we left Egypt. So it just happens to be, it works out, I'm sure nothing happens to be, but it works out fantastic. Maybe that's why they came up with the idea. And this satisfied Alexander. Unfortunately, um, once Alexander's armies came in and therefore took over the country, so Greek culture started to flourish. Because Alexander understood that, um, that when people will see a more modern culture, many, many people will be drawn to it. There's what to be drawn to. There's, there's the, the arts and sports and the body and exercise and, and throwing and contests and, and, uh, and not being barbarians, I guess. I guess if we would see a, a Greek soldier nowadays, we might call him a barbarian. We probably would. But in any case, the Greek culture is now more than slowly. It is moving through the land of Israel. And as those that want to be religious, those that the Torah study is important to, um, those people are going to still be religious. But those people that were looking for an excuse to be like the rest of the world, we want to be like the Greeks, we want, again, I keep saying the arts, the music, the math, the the philosophy, uh, we want all that. So people slowly but surely, many, many people were becoming Greek, or at least the Greek culture, which is exactly what Alexander figured would happen because they would see the culture, and it's certainly easier, the Greek culture, than following all the laws in the Torah. So really, if, if, uh, if I guess, people would let uh, time take its course, um, who knows what would have happened. But um, the just to give us names a little bit, not to get into all the names. It's uh, you have so Alexander dies. You have the Southern Kingdom. The name of the of the kings in the Southern Kingdom was Ptolemy. It's actually spelled P T, but that P is not pronounced P T O L M E Y, I believe. So the Southern kings were called Ptolemies. The Northern Kingdom, uh, most of the kings went by the name of Antioch or Antiochus or something in that uh, pronunciation. So for the first uh, couple, more than a couple of years, the southern kingdom owned Israel. At some point later, uh, the northern kingdom takes over, and the fourth Antiochus, so again, I don't know how many years each of those kings lasted, um, I have it written down, but after we get through the fourth king, he all of a sudden decides that the, the, there's too many Jews that have not fully accepted the Greek culture. So now he makes demands, and it's going to come with a death penalty. They're not looking to kill Jews per se because they're Jewish. They just want to make sure everybody's Greek like them. Like, who cares? Like, what's the difference? I want to be Jewish. You want to be Greek. But they, so you see a Jew, you see a Torah-observant Jew, you know he's something special. They couldn't handle it. So therefore, they start instituting laws. Um, no Sabbath, no, no holidays. No circumcision, because the Greeks believed in the body. The body is perfect. Bodybuilders and, and weightlifters and runners and javelin throwers and discus, and you know all the sports yourself, right? The Greeks created the Olympics. And, um, and so to give a circumcision means you're saying the body is not perfect. They didn't like that. Um, and, of course, no Torah study. And if you went against the rule, so there was a death penalty. 
Now, of course, the hardest one is circumcision, because once you give a circumcision, you can't really hide it. If they got a check, you're going to see the person circumcised, and that will be a death penalty for the child, to the parents. So by that time already, the temple had been taken over by the Greeks. The Greeks have their idols there. They do their pig sacrifices there. And those Jews that still want to be religious are really starting to hide in the mountains, go into little villages where they won't be noticed, where they won't find them. And eventually, a group of soldiers finds the city of Modian. And there, they bring out the high priest, or at least the priest. They was Matisio, the head of the Maccabees, which we're going to talk about as our, as our day goes on today. And they try to get him to sacrifice a pig, and another Jew sacrificed the pig. And this Matisio is incensed that a Jew would do such a thing. He kills him, and he makes out the cry, Me, Lashem Eli, whoever is to God is with me. That's actually the... The, um, that becomes probably the acronym of, uh, of the Maccabees, where they'll say, who's, uh, who's for God? And uh, that begins the revolt. You have this group of, of priests, of rabbis, that begin the revolt. And it looks like here comes my music. So we, I've gotten you the beginning of the history of Greek culture infiltrating the Jewish people. And when we come back... We're going to talk more of the battles and what happened with the Syrian army and the, and the Jewish army, the Maccabees. And we'll talk about it when, we, when we're right back, right through the break. Hold on. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where Techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says there was a substantial drop in diabetes deaths in the decade leading up to 2006 especially for deaths resulting from heart disease or stroke that's attributed to diabetes. American adults with diabetes are still more likely to die younger than those who do not have the condition, but the gap is getting smaller. The findings come after researchers looked at data from 1997 to 2004, covering nearly a quarter of a million adults. The mortality rate may be falling for some very simple but sound reasons. People with diabetes were found to be less likely to smoke and more likely to be physically active than they were in the past. And there also have been some improvements in controlling blood pressure and cholesterol levels. But sadly, the news is not all good though. As the CDC also says that the prevalence of diabetes is likely to rise in the future, largely due to poor lifestyle choices and obesity. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. And I hope you like Adam Sandler because someone found that for me. Um, you can check that one out, but you don't have to do it now. Um, in any case, as we're still just getting us involved up to the story of Hanukkah, 
So the last segment, we gave you the basic historical outline leading up to the rebellion. So now you have Matisio and his five sons. Everyone's heard of Judah the Maccabee. But you're talking a ragtag group of Jews, not soldiers. Um, according to Josephus, they collect upwards of 6,000 soldiers. And they're going to be battling um, armies of, of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 trained um, Greek troops from, uh, from that Syrian, uh, from the northern kingdom of Syria. And, um, but they're going to fight. They're going to fight three major battles, and they will win. And it's miraculous. In other words, the Greek army just had to march, and they would have trampled them. So exactly, I can't tell you warfare and plans and this. You can say whatever you want. At the end of the day, um, the Greeks kept trying to send new armies. They didn't just send one army and, and the soldiers fled. They, kept, they sent new armies and more new armies. And, uh, and miraculously, the Maccabees destroy, not completely, but they get those armies to flee. They kill the generals. And, uh, and we win. So we're at a point now where... The armies of the Greeks have packed out. Again, Greek culture is still flourishing in the land of Israel. That's not changing just because um, we have this group of soldiers that are fighting the Greeks. But they now make their way up to the temple, and there happens to be a a fortress connected to the temple. If you see some of the old archaeological digs, there is a fortress. I believe it's on the north end. I'm not sure. And um, they can't conquer that fortress. And that fortress is going to harass them for years to come. But they come into the temple, and there's a lot of cleanup work to do. It's overgrown um, weeds and plants, and, and walls were broken. Actually, with 13 breaks on purpose. There were breaks made in, in one of the fences uh, for anybody to come in uh, because those fences actually had signs on them. And the sign said... That, uh, that if you're not Jewish, you can't go past this spot. And the Greeks didn't like that. They're supposed to be the, the ultimate, the pinnacle of, uh, of, uh, of humans, at least at that point in history. So they believed. So I got a lot of repairs to make. They're going to dismantle the, the, the main altar because it was used for idol worship. They got a lot of cleanup work to do. But with all these miracles taking place, um, the, the priests said... God's taking care of us. This is a war of spirituality, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, it can't be that uh, we're going to have to light the oil with the, the menorah, the candelabra, if you'd like, um, with impure oil. So let's take each of these parts slowly. So there's a golden menorah, if you want to know what it looks like. So on the Arch of Titus, there's a picture of it. Or just go Google uh, menorah, and you'll see it was gold, seven branches, the original gold one is long gone. The Greeks stole all the gold, so we don't even have a menorah. But the concept of lighting seven candles in the temple every night, if you don't have gold, you use a different material. Use, uh, use uh, steel poles or, or copper or wood, according to some, you could even use. Use whatever you want. It's interesting because the temple menorah was seven candles, seven, seven branches. It's really a central branch with uh, three branches on each side. So... Jews do not make seven-branch candelabras. So even women that light candles every Friday night will never have one candelabra with seven branches. If they, have, if they want to light seven candles, they'll have five branches plus two on the side, three and four. 
six and one, whatever you want, but they will not use a seven-branch candelabra. This is a side interesting law. So in any case, they say it's got to be this pure oil. Now again, you have to imagine the temple. The temple is a working, um, not a factory, but it's, it's, a, it's a, like a moving storage house. In other words, you need oil, there's an oil storage house. You need wine, there's a wine storage house. You need flour, there's a flour storage house. You need spices, there's a, fl- a, a, a spice uh, room. So in a, in a regular day, they would have shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves of pure oil. Well, the, the, the Greeks came in and on purpose defiled all the oil. To explain defiling is a little bit uh, complicated, but just, let's say it like this. There's a concept of being pure. That pure means that a person hasn't come into contact with impurities. For example, a dead body makes somebody impure. A dead rodent would make someone impure. Um, a dead carcass not slaughtered properly would make someone impure. And these impurities, sometimes you just uh, you go into like a pool of water and the, it gets out the impurities. Don't ask me how. I have no idea. That's the rules and regulations. So the Greeks went and moved all the oil. They move all the oil. They're on purpose um, defiling the oil so it's not pure because they didn't like the concept of pure and impure. That's what they're anti. So you're going to go to the storage room. All the oil is what we call impure or a tummy. So they miraculously find oil buried in the ground. Some say it was behind a wall um, with a stamp of the high priest to mean it wasn't opened. And again, that's not normal because this is a storage, a storage room. You have shells of oil. Like I bought donuts for everybody. There's shells of donuts. Nobody buries a donut in the floor to be saved for 200 years later. That's ridiculous. And it won't taste good. But they miraculously find this oil. It's pure oil. But again, these flasks, each flask is per day. You're not going to put extra oil in that you got to bring back to the storage room. This is the oil I need for today. And you'll take it and use it. So they only found one flask. And they filled up this makeshift menorah, and it lit for eight days. Some say they poured a little bit each day. Some say they poured the whole thing in at once. Um, Different answers, numerous questions and answers exactly what they did with the oil. But at the end of the day, the miracle was that the oil lit for eight days. Now, again, the temple was a place that there were always ongoing miracles. This is just another miracle. And if you ask me, the war is a big deal. What's the big deal of the oil? And as why are we celebrating the miracle of oil? It's not the only miracle that ever took place. So you need to, to focus on the whole story. The story was that Greek culture was, was permeating the, the Jewish nation. And Matisyahu and his sons, the five Maccabees, Judah, Simon, uh, uh, Yechanan, um, they were fighting for the purity of the Jewish people, that we don't want the Greek culture. We have our Torah. We have our commandments. We serve God. That is our purity. So we, it was the, it, the battle was the impure, was the Greeks trying to get us to do their idol worship, their culture, against our culture of, of being Torah observant, following the commands, believing in God. All that stuff is what we were fighting for. So it, what's most important of all the miracles of Hanukkah is to remember that we won. 
that we did not be we didn't we didn't lose to the nations of the world to the Greeks to become like the Greeks, but we're able to win and we're able to serve God the way we want to serve God, following His Torah, following His commands, not doing idol worship. That battle is a battle of purity. So because we we won and therefore we were able to continue to be pure, so therefore we celebrate the holiday with something that reminds us of being pure. And that is the olive oil. Again, they had olive oil. Many people, myself included, will light their menorah uh, with olive oil, but it doesn't must use olive oil. Technically, you could use any oil with a wick. You could use wax candles. Um, I know people use electric. That's a little bit more debatable um, where electric comes in because it's not just lights. We want to be reminded by a, 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 a wick, and with oil, that we were pure, and we fought the impurities, and therefore we we uh, we won. Therefore, we had Hanukkah because the miracle was eight days, um, and again, it's debatable. It's really the miracle of seven days, right? Because we found the we found the oil. So there's like books with hundreds of answers of why Hanukkah is actually eight days long instead of seven days long. Because again, you have the oil, so the first day doesn't count. So some will say that the that the first day the, the it's we found the oil is one miracle plus seven days. Others will say they only used a little bit of oil each day, so every day the oil burnt with a miracle. Others say it's something different. Um, I told you before you can't have a seven branch candelabra; it's going to have to be eight. So therefore, they made it eight. But I'm telling you, there's there's hundreds of answers. People have a good time with this to come up with different answers over the holiday of, of, why, uh, of why oil, of why eight days, I'm sorry. So we, the main celebration, even though we love donuts, but the main celebration of Hanukkah is through a menorah. So people have a menorah in their window. You know, interesting, um, in old times back in Israel and even today, the menorah was actually lit outside your front door or outside your front gate. That's where you lit your menorah. And every night you add a candle. So first night is one, next night is two, then three, then four, then five. Um, in the Talmud, there's actually a discussion. Some want to say it should be eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. It's like a countdown. But we, we, the rabbis in the end decided we're going to count up because we go up in holiness. We're always looking to strive. We're always looking to grow. So therefore, it's one the first night, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then there's an extra candle we call the shamish that we light all the candles with. And that really is the main mitzvah of Hanukkah. Dreidel playing is fun. We'll talk about dreidels after the break. Um, eating latkes. Uh, you don't even know what a latke is. Potato pancakes um, or, or the donuts. All these things are all part of the holiday. And here comes my music. We got Hanukkah music piping in. We love that. So when we come back, I got to show you some pics of my kids with a, with a menorah. We got to talk about donuts and dreidels. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. Andy, are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Sukkot? Uh, uh. I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, 
faith and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. That's pretty good. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out PodQuesters. The show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous drakes. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. And we're back with miracles. Lots of good Hanukkah songs. So now we got to get into the holiday a little bit. Talk about what we actually do. Uh, Kelsey has some of my kids' pictures there. She can throw those up whenever she feels like it. Um, so Hanukkah, at least the lighting, is a is a family. It's a family event. Um, by many people, um, every child will light a menorah. In some houses, when the girls are a little older, they won't light. Some houses, the girls always light. I tell my class, we always go according to our custom. Uh, what's interesting is we've talked before, there's uh, what we'll call European customs and Middle Eastern customs. So in my class this year, for the first time, I actually have a child with Middle Eastern customs. And the Middle Eastern custom is that only the father lights the menorah. Very fascinating discussion amongst the, uh, the rabbis in the 12 and 1300s. Uh, does everybody light candles? Does only the father light candles? So it's a very interesting conversation. What happened was that the, the, the Middle Eastern custom followed the, the rabbis who said one, one menorah, while the Europeans want everybody to light. Again, it used to be before Europe, really back in Israel, you lit your menorah outside your house. You wanted people to see it. You wanted to let the world know, or at least the Jewish world know about the miracle. Once we got into Europe, it was just too dangerous to leave a menorah outside. It caused anti-Semitism. So um, people would light it on their table inside the house. There's all kinds of stories um, in World War II where Jews would do whatever it took, even in the concentration camps. They would collect some oil from the train tracks, and they take, uh, as, as threadbare as their clothing was, they take a few threads out, and you would have these great rabbis that would be lighting the menorah in the barracks, and you'd have hundreds of, of uh, prisoners of, uh, in, in, in different concentration camps, just their face, faces aglow, watching a menorah, listening to the blessing, because it was a, first of all, it was a command that they were able to do. Most commands they couldn't keep in the concentration camps, and it certainly gave them hope. Uh, for the future, so it's certainly that's uh, that's it was always inside. 
in America, for the most part, people will light by a window. So interesting enough, um, if you live in a, in a high-rise apartment, there's really no point in lighting by the window. Even though technically, I know when I would drive down the FDR, for those from New York, you could see menorahs up 10, 12 stories high. But the rabbi said when you get to a certain height, it's too high. And no point, just light on your table, light it by your door. Uh, but again, most of us will light it by an open by, by a front window. If you have a front window, not everyone has a front window. As I found out in my class today, one boy says we don't have a front window. Okay, so we, we figure out what to do. So that's the lighting of the menorah, and after we light it, we'll sing, we'll dance in my house. I don't know where this came from, but in my house, we dance. If you saw those pictures before, we put the kids on shoulders. Now they're getting bigger. I'm getting older, so I let the other children hold each other on shoulders. We run into the bedroom. We jump on the beds. I have no idea why we jump on the beds. I don't jump on the bed, but the kids do. We jump, we sing, we dance, uh, make it all exciting. Many people will tell over the story of Hanukkah. Of course, uh, many people think of Hanukkah as presents. Um, it is interesting to to note. Um, I can't tell you if they gave presents, you know, before the, you know, before Madison Avenue made the the advertising that everybody must uh, give out eight presents and eight nights and stuff. But you go back hundreds of years ago, we have records of people giving money, as giving what they called Hanukkah guilt. Giving money to children was and is an old custom, that's for sure. Where it was coming from is debatable. Some people say that they would send the teachers money to show the appreciation because, again, the holiday of Hanukkah, we got to study our Torah, and um, so you would say give an appreciation to the teacher. Once you give money to the teacher, so you show the child, I'm excited and I appreciate that you studied Torah. So that's where the custom um, actually became that they gave Money. Money turned into presents, or Madison Avenue said your kid doesn't want money, he wants presents. But, okay, fine. That's one part of Hanukkah. Because of the oil, right, because oil is, a, again, an integral part of the miracle, so we eat oily stuff. And in my diet, I'm allowed oily stuff. Not the carbohydrate part, but the oil part seems to be not so bad. And olive oil, by the way, is a pretty good oil if you cook with olive oil. Um, so we eat oily things. So your donut, or in Israel it's called uh, sofganiyot, um, are supposed to be fried in oil. And uh, they're very delicious. Anything cooked in oil is delicious. Um, or a similar food that's cooked in oil is what's called a latka. Uh, in English, you would call it a potato pancake. Again, potatoes, not so good for the carbohydrates, but very good for the oil. Um, people make potato kugel, which again is is filled with oil. So that it was, and again, in different countries, different areas, they had a different kind of oily food. So eating those oily foods, um, again, reminds us of oil and the miracle of the oil and the purity of the oil. So that's really where the whole concept of the oil uh, comes in. Um, another custom on Hanukkah is the dreidel. I did not bring a dreidel with me. Um, a dreidel is a tap. It's got four sides, pointy bottom, stick on top, and you give it a whirl, and it has different letters on it. Um, I don't know the original letters that must have existed in the time of the Greeks and the time of the Maccabees, but the idea was that you couldn't study Torah. So if you have a bunch of children hanging out together, 
So the authorities want to know what you're doing. If you're playing with a tap, okay, you're playing a game, kids playing games, so who cares? But the game was just a way to hide the fact that they were really studying Torah. Nowadays, the dreidel has become, as I told Tony before, a gambling game, which is interesting because really gambling is a type of stealing, so you shouldn't be allowed to have a gambling game, uh, but for Hanukkah it was allowed. Eh, it's usually very little money, people don't care, the, it's just pennies, you don't use real money, you use you know nothing of, of value, um, everybody's willing to do it, it's all part of the holiday, so somehow... We, we work around this idea that really we frown on all gambling. Sorry, I told the casinos downtown. But for numerous reasons, we frown on gambling. One being when you're gambling with somebody and he's not really happy about the whole game. Perhaps there's stealing involved. But it's a gambling game. And there's different letters from the Hebrew alphabet. And they actually, it's an acronym that Nase Godol Hayasham. There was a great miracle there. So Nase is Nun. Um, haya, Neis Gadol Gimel is uh, great. Hayas was and Sham is there. Some say in Israel they put a pay instead of a shin to make it po, which means here. But in any case, um, so if you care about how the game goes, if you get Gimel, so you get the whole pot. If you get a hay, you get half the pot. I guess hay sounds like half. I don't know. If you spin nun, you get nothing because nun sounds like nothing. And if you get a shin, you got to add into the pot. So that's the basic dreidel game. Um, it's evolved, like all things with my class, um, we'll have a, a Hanukkah party. So I'll make them a lunch we'll have in school. And then we'll have what we call dreidel Olympics. And I'm not really looking to do gambling. How long can it spin? Can, how far can you throw it and it's still spinning? How high can you spin it? Can you get it to jump across tables? And we just have a, a good time with the dreidel. But again, it's it's all to remind us of the miracles that took place during Hanukkah. One more food that people will eat on Hanukkah is milk. So milk products is also part of the holiday. However, it's debatable when the story involving milk actually took place. So let's talk about this story. Uh, for those who are not familiar, and I wrote down the word, um, there's something called Lord's Rights. Tony, ever heard of Lord's Rights? No, of course not. You can look it up online. Lord's Rights meant that the, um, whether it would be the general or whoever was in charge of the area was allowed to say, any girl, before she gets married, um, I have first dibs. She sleeps with me for the night, and then afterwards she can go marry her husband. That was called Lord's Rights. So the Greeks were doing this. They would they in the cities that they were in control of. They had this idea. They didn't call it lords' rights. That's an English word. They obviously had a different title for lords' rights. And uh, before a girl was allowed to get married, uh, she had to sleep with this German officer. So um, because of that, they would change the nights of the wedding, so they wouldn't know by now the girl's already married. So you only get the girl before she's married. So there was in the priestly family. There was a girl by the name of Yehudas. Debatable if her father was the high priest. And uh, she basically laid into the Jewish leadership and said, how are you allowing this to go on? I mean, you're a bunch of men, but you're not, think about me too nowadays, right? You're not taking care of your girls. So she said, I'm going to take care of it. So, so she went out to the, to the 
German, to the Greek camp. And she said, I'm here for Lord's rights. I'm getting married tomorrow night, so I'm here to be with the general. Oh, of course, please come in. Uh, right in. Uh, red carpet. What's in the bag? Nah, don't worry what's in the bag. The bag is good. I got some food for the general. He'll appreciate it. So she goes in, and she gives the general cheese. Very, very salty cheese. So salty that you got to drink. And she brought along pitchers of milk. Yeah, everybody knows you. If you're a little tired or, and you can't fall asleep, you drink milk. So she's giving him cheese and milk. Some will say she gave him the cheese to make him thirsty and instead gave him wine. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it was, there was a milk product involved. She got this general either drunk or sleeping. She then took his sword, cut off his head. In those days, they seemed to cut off people's heads a lot. So she, she chops off his head, puts his head back in her bag, and leaves. Now, again, you know, the soldiers know what's supposed to happen. So they figured the general's done. She takes the head back into the city. And the next morning, they take the general's head, put it on a stick, and they place it on the gates of the city. And again, in those days, if you saw, if you saw your general's head on the gate, that would be a bad sign. So therefore, the army turns and runs. And this happens to be, this story is extremely debatable. It's just not clear. There's too many versions. When did this story take place? Was it during part of the actual Hanukkah miracle? Was it years earlier, by some of the earlier wars? Exactly when it takes place, there's, again, numerous versions. We can't worry too much exactly when, but that's why people also have a custom to have some type of milk products on this holiday. Her name was Yehudis. Therefore, Yehudis, which means Jewish, by the way, um, Yehudis is therefore a very famous Jewish name, and certainly children that are born during this holiday, that is one of the stories told of women. Once you tell one story of women, so I have another minute, let me get into another story. Again, it's debatable exactly when the story takes place, but early on when the Greeks were not allowing the Jews to uh, keep their Torah, and as I told you before, that if you wouldn't bow down to the idol or you're keeping Torah or keeping the Sabbath, they would execute you. So there's a famous lady by the name of Hannah or Hannah. It goes, Hannah and her seven sons. So the, the Greek general brings in this whole family and he says to the oldest one, he says, okay, here's my idol, bow down. So the Guys say, I ain't bowing down to your idol. Kill him. And it goes all the way through the family. By the last child, the king says, here, take my ring. Pretend to bow down like the king's looking like a fool. Somebody's got to bow down over here. So the kid picks up the ring, and he's, I don't know if he picks up the ring. He says, says you need to fool everybody that I should pretend to pick up a ring. That's what's going to make your day. I ain't bowing down to you. The whole family is killed. Hannah climbs on a roof and uh, falls off. But before she tells her son, she says, you tell God. Sarah was willing to give one son. I, of course, was willing to give all seven sons to serve uh, God. And when we come back, as soon as my music comes on to remind me that we're coming back, um, when we come back, we're going to finish up. we got to get to our new letter this week. I promised you a great story about winter storms. So you hold through the break. We'll be right back and finish our conversation about Hanukkah. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. Our votes don't matter. I, and I always disagree. Doing this show, I feel like I get like a little bit of time to chit-chat with the man. Yeah. I fell in love with Oh. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. Writer, producer, director. How did this whole thing come about for you? 
I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Central Sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. I'm Jackie Callen, Dr. Mark Berkowitz. You all accumulate so many products. They'd probably dry it yeah. out if I opened the jars. You can't miss the team member with Medicare. You're a critical part of the team. Yeah. But I don't eat the yolks. That's the, not really helping them diet, is it? They're, they're not getting anything out of it. It goes right through. With these relatively small steps, it becomes a lot easier over time to make major lifestyle changes. Put your arms out if you want to. Whoa! Nice. <laughs> At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. And we're back. And our last segment, talking about Hanukkah, let's review. We've talked about the miracle of the battles that this group of rabbis, or high priests, went ahead and defeated the great Greek-Syrian army. I told you the three battles. Then they fixed up the temple. Truthfully, there were many battles afterwards. And over most of those battles, most of the brothers were killed. Eventually, Simon will be the leader. Different sign from who we talked about earlier in the story. We talked about that they found that jug of oil, and it was pure oil, and the whole holiday signifies purity, and that jar or jug, which should have lasted for one day, lasted for eight days. Therefore, we celebrate by having eight days of Hanukkah. Therefore, we also have oily foods as a remembrance. Um, we also we talked about the dreidel game. We talked about the milk and the story with the Lord's rights. And um, and let's uh, just get into the last couple things. We, of course, have our letter of the week, and Kelsey is ready. So this week we're up to the letter, the second letter of the Jewish alphabet, the Bays or the Bet. That one does have a sound. It's the uh, B sound. Interesting that the second letter of the English alphabet and probably the Greek alphabet and, uh, and the Hebrew alphabet all have the second letter of the same sound. And the third one, by the way, is also pretty similar. Not in English, but in Greek. So the word I wanted, its numerical value is two. It, it looks like a squared off C, which is backwards, and it flipped around um, with a little leg sticking the, the other direction out. That's your base. It is, its numerical value is two, and I thought the word house, bias, would be, or by it, would be a good word. First of all, the whole holiday obviously revolves around our house, our home. We're in our homes. We're lighting our menorahs. In the time of the temple, they lit it right outside their home. Um, nowadays, we light it inside our home. That's a light that permeates the house. That's what we're looking for, a spirituality to permeate the house. Also, it can remind us of the temple. The Hebrew word for the temple is the Beit Hamikdash or Beis Hamikdash. That's the house of holiness, the holy temple. So again, all good words to help us remember 
um, uh, that what we're talking about with Hanukkah this week. Okay, now I got a great story for you. So, again, we have to sort of uh, get the picture in our mind of a couple weeks ago. I told you earlier in the show. And that is you, you have this storm that came up. I guess they expected it, but not the, what would happen. Um, you, if you looked at videos, there were massive um, tractor trailers, jackknifing, and car pileups on the GW Bridge. But it seems that these accidents were everywhere. So when you were going to go home... It was going to be, and you didn't even know it till you got into your car, and the ways took you every which way to save, you know, instead of six hours, four hours. I mean, ridiculous time travel for people. People were stuck on buses and, and cars, and, and one of the things that happened was gas stations um, really did quite well because you're in the car so long, you're, you don't know how long you're going to be. You're afraid you're going to run out of gas. So all these gas stations were just pumping gas all day long. Okay, so now you have the, the basic picture. So there's a, a, a rabbi, um, he sent me the story, I won't say his name, called Rabbi H, and he is a, a, a principal in the New Jersey area. So it's supposed to take him 45 minutes to get home, an hour to get home, it's going to take him four or five hours. So he's driving in this storm, and I hope this never happened to you, it has happened to me, your windshield wiper is going back and forth, and with all the snow all of a sudden, sometimes that windshield wiper will fly off. Sometimes it'll break. Tony is smiling. It's obviously happened to him. It's a Kelsey smile. Everyone's seen it. You know, you get all this snow. And I had sometimes like the whole like roof like like falls onto your windshield wiper. Like it happens. The problem is you're in the middle of a massive snowstorm. You're not moving anywhere, and now you can't see. So this is bad. So he's looking out the other side of the window on the good side, and he sees. I guess his ways must have taken him off the highway. And he sees there's a gas station um, up to the right. So he inches his way, and I mean inches his way, up into the gas station. Once you're there, might as well get gas. It's New Jersey. So in New Jersey, the law is that the attendant has to pump gas for you. You are not allowed to pump your own gas. That's the law in New Jersey. This guy is pumping gas. He has no time for anybody else. So uh, this Rabbi H goes to him and says, maybe you have a windshield wiper. I'm a little stuck over here. My windshield wiper is not working. It's broken. And, uh, and the guy says, I don't got time for you. I'm pumping gas. Anyways, right next to him is another guy who says, you know, I have an auto shop right down the block. You're going to go to the end of this block. You're going to make a right. And you go right into my auto shop. I just sold it. And, um, and uh, I'll get your windshield wiper. So they drive down there. The guy files and he pulls into an empty Auto shop, empty, nothing there. The guy gets out of his car and he says, oh, yeah, you know, I just sold my auto shop. Um, everything was cleared out. But, hey, look here, there's one box they left behind. Would you like to guess what was in that box? Very good. Otherwise, I wouldn't tell you the story. Um, there's a box of different size windshield wipers. So the guy says, look, you've got windshield wipers. And he finds when he says, this one will work to get you home. Really, once you get home, you should probably change it. But it's good fur. He called it a good fur. This is what I call my good fur. It'll get you home, and uh, you'll be taken care of. So the rabbi says to him, you know, you're like an angel. Like, you saved my life. Like, how would I get home? Um, why are you so kind? So the guy says, you know, I blame it on my, on my mother. My mother was a kind woman. I learned to be kind. So he says, very beautiful. You should be blessed. Your mother should be blessed. And he goes home, and the windshield is good for it to get him home. But if you think about the story, the story is fascinating. 
Like, in the middle of nowhere, he gets off where his windshield wiper breaks. The gas station attendant can't help him. He happens to be next to a guy who sold his, uh, who sold his shop. And the shop was really sold. There should be nothing there. It just happens to be a box of windshield wipers. That is wild. That is certainly unusual. It shouldn't be happening. And here comes the music. So I hope you enjoyed our Hanukkah show. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor listeners. I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Tony, Kelsey, Angel, Lana. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.